Hey, this is Anna Vaughn with Travel Mama Anna Vaughn, and this is our podcast. Strap in, because it's about to get weird. Hi, everybody. It is Anna Vaughn with the Travel Mama podcast, and continuing now in health month. Right now, it's May. It's a whole month dedicated to health, and it couldn't have come at a better time with everything that's going on in the world, especially here in North America with our openings now, a lot of openings all over for COVID-19. Things are sort of starting to look up. And today I'm gonna to be talking with a licensed psychotherapist living in Reno, Nevada. My good friend and follower we met on the internet, like so many great people I know, Juset Quiron. Hey, Hi. thanks for being on the show. Thank you, thank you for having me. So what's it like? What it what maybe first just tell me like what's the vibe like in Reno, Nevada? Because that is, you know, normally such a big tourism spot. Like what are things like there right now? Yeah, to give you a little bit of history, um, I and my family, we were in Guatemala for December, January, and then we got here in February. When we got here in February, I think a couple days later, we heard of a case in Vacaville, California, which is uh, very close to Sacramento. So we are bordering states with California. So we had heard of one case um, in Vacaville, two hours away from us. We got back and we started our private practice again and we opened up and we weren't there very long. I think we were probably one of the first behavioral health offices to decide to go online, um, which was in March. So I think that the quarantining and the ask to stay at home for Reno, Nevada specifically started in March. I think Las Vegas, which is maybe six, seven hours away from us. I think Las Vegas started a little bit later just because the mayor had pushed to go um, as far as she could. So I know that we were probably one of the first ones in um, when I'm talking about cities here in Nevada. Right. And what's the vibe like? Like what, what's the feeling of the people there? Like are people, I don't know, like, are they scared? Are they excited to go back? Are they starting to go back? Are they angry? Like, you know, every place sort of has its vibe based on how things were handled or the people or whatever. And like, you know, where do you think Reno is on the spectrum? I think we have a combination of everything. I think that we have a bunch of people who were able to quarantine either because they have a lot of privilege that allowed them to do that. So maybe they did it lose work and they were okay with the quarantining. I think a lot of people that work in the bar industry, in the restaurants, they lost their jobs and with the unemployment office unable to provide services for so many people so quickly, they were more in a hurry to go back to work because if you don't work, you don't eat. So we had a lot of people who wanted to quarantine or wanted to be able to stay at home, but their jobs don't allow them to as well. So I think that we have a nice mix of everything. We started um, phase one of the reopening process last week. So uh, we're hearing three phases. Phase one was last week where certain places were able to reopen. Uh, we are casinos. So Reno and my, my background is a bunch of casinos. And I know that from my understanding, the only time they've ever closed the casinos was when John F. Kennedy was shot and murdered. And that was for 24 hours. And that was a long time ago. So now 
all casinos have been closed with some with the exception of if they provide food services and they can do the curbside pickup, they're allowed to stay open. So I think we have a mix of everything. And I think it's really dependent on the privilege that people have and what they're able to do or not do. But when when is phase two? Like what okay, what 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 is phase one there? I'm just like interested in how they do stuff in the States. I mean, I have no idea. Yeah, so I'll probably use the the wrong word to describe. From my understanding, the state of Nevada, Arizona, Washington, they joined on this this way of deciding how we would move forward with the reopening process. And from, from what we're seeing on our end is that they have asked certain places to take certain precautions. So the first people that were able to open were, at least in the medical provider side, dental offices, which were also the ones that were included in last week's opening and hair salons. They are taking certain precautions like being able to be six feet apart, being able to wear masks, being able to do certain things to keep everybody safe. Um, I think that it's hard because what we're noticing is that there's a lot of questioning. So we don't understand why certain things are certain ways, why certain things are allowed to be open and certain things are allowed to be closed. Um, it seems like in the state of Nevada, well, I guess I could also give you some numbers. We've had over 7,000 confirmed COVID cases. Um, in Nevada, we've had over 300 deaths. And um, just as a nation as a whole, we've had over 100,000 people um, pass away with over a million infected. So in Nevada with 7,000 confirmed cases and over 300 deaths, um, we see that everybody has tried to do as good of a job as they could when it comes to like healthcare workers and hospitals setting up for what right, but, worse. But how many people die from gunshots in Nevada? How many right. people die from stabbings? How many people die from car accidents? Like, I don't know what 300 deaths I mean. That doesn't sound like a lot to me. I don't, I don't you know, I don't know if that's a lot or a little. Like, I, I, need, I have a really hard time with the numbers all over the world because I don't know what that means because I have no comparison for it. I mean, if there was 300 deaths in my town, holy shit, like, we'd be in the deep shit, <laughs> you know? Like, that's so much. But 300 deaths in Ciudad Juarez at the border that's, you know, dealing with the United States narco war, like, it's nothing. That's nothing. You know, like they're seeing 45 deaths a day up there. Right. So, you know what I mean? Like, what, right. what, is that, what does that mean for Nevada? Is that like a lot, like for what you guys get in your normal sort of death scale? So I think when we look um, at the United States as a whole and we see places like California and we see places like New York and the Midwest, I mean, they've had so much loss of life and so many people that are, I mean, the whole town is being affected. I think when you look at the Nevada numbers, I think that they sound really good comparison to other numbers, right. but a lot of the way people are seeing it is one death is too many, right? So I, I don't That's look- so funny. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing because over 500 school shootings happen a year in the United States and it's like one death is too many, but they don't even protect their own children. <laughs> Right. And I, I, I am one who believes that there's so much injustice and inequality in this country. I mean, we recently saw the murder of a black man for jogging in daylight. I mean, we look at the inequality and we look at immigrants in the ICE detention centers and we look at all the injustices that happen. Yeah, I mean, that's 
people of this color. This is why Luna and I won't go to the United States is I'm too scared to bring my Mexican daughter into a country that puts Mexican girls in cages and denies them water until they're dead. You know, like I, that, what if that happens to my baby? So many moms have been separated from their children who had proper paperwork to enter the country. And people say to me, yeah, but what about your Canadian passport? And I'm like, but we fly out on her Mexican. Like they're gonna know she's Mexican when she enters the country. And they have separated children with American papers, American green cards who had Mexican passports. So I can't take the risk that they're gonna kill my daughter there. You know, and people think I'm crazy when they say that because they see a white woman with a Canadian passport but I mean, you want to talk about injustice. I'm, I mean, the guy who, I don't know his name. I'm, as I, I honestly, I, you know, maybe I should pay more attention, but I don't pay attention because I'm already on board with how much injustice there is in the United States and injustice in the medical system there. I mean, it's probably one of the worst medical systems in North America, the whole continent, including Central America. I mean, I, you know, it's on the level of, some Central American countries that have nothing. And the United States has everything. There's no reason to have this many deaths going on for lots of things, not just COVID. And um, it's, har it's hard for me, even though, I mean, I don't think that people need to be dying in the numbers they are of COVID, but it's, it is hard for me to justify throwing such a huge portion of the population into harm's way, you know, children in abusive situations, suicide, you know, starvation, you know, these things that are really killing a lot of people already that nobody cares about because they're affecting a portion of the population that nobody cares about. And to put those people at risk to save a 90 year old rich white guy, it just, it doesn't seem it, it doesn't seem right. I mean, at some point we have to face our our mortality, you know, like but at the same time I I mean who am I to say whose life is worth more? You know what I mean? Like I don't feel like I can make that judgment, but I I personally don't think that anybody's really handled this well. I don't think closing down entire countries to save a small portion of of very ill and very elderly people is the way to go. This is my personal, I think there's gotta be another way. I don't know if that's the feeling where you are though, because you have a very small death toll. Yeah, well, I think that with the inequality that we see in this country and when we see racism and when we see income inequality, we really see COVID-19 exasperate all of this. We see that more black and brown lives are losing um, the battle to COVID-19. We are seeing more people of color having to put themselves in danger. So I feel like no one would disagree, at least as long as you're not white, rich, privileged, and a racist, I think that we would all agree that those are our concerns. And I, I'm a brown woman and I clearly look Hispanic and I was born in Los Angeles, California. So I'm going to be the first one that in my 31 years of life, racism very much exists. And whoever says that that isn't a thing is lying. Um, so I feel like I'm I- massively benefiting from it, like on a massive level. Right, right. That's why it exists, right? That's why it exists. It's institutional racism. That's exactly what's happening. And I think that with COVID-19, we see 
our people being affected more. We see low-income families being affected more. We see people of color being affected more. So I feel like when we see the losses here in Nevada, we have seen a high number of our people, of our community. So I think that when we look at saving lives in that way, I at least personally think of saving my people, my race, my you know, where I'm coming from. I don't think of like that rich old white guy because I think that rich old white guy has the privilege to stay at home and self-quarantine and not lose his job and still make money. It's such a privilege. I mean, I talked about it a little bit in the in my life today because for me, I think what's, I mean, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a different situation because I, you know, I'm living in a country where people like starve if they don't work right away. There's no buffer. Okay, it goes from working to starvation. There's, and I mean, you know this, uh, you know, being in Guatemala, like, I mean, you've seen this, you know, you know from your own, you know, cultural history, you know, even if you were born in LA, like, you know. So for me, I feel like my privilege is always heightened. I can always see it. I always see it because I live in a community. I mean, but also it's not just me, like, you know, for instance, uh, Nellie, who cleans my house and her family, you know, helps me with gardening and other things or whatever, but I consider her a friend. I don't think of her as my employee. I think of myself as her client and that we work together. Her kids also come over to the house and play with Luna and Luna goes up to her house. She only lives two blocks away and her pool is 10 times better than mine, you know, but she, you know, she and her husband kept their jobs in this, but, but for the grace of God, like it could have, they could have been like the people that lost their jobs were all kind of the same. Like, I'm just lucky that I don't need to make a lot of money to scrape by because I make foreign dollars. Right. So of course I've lost money. I'm not investing or saving or anything, but my basic needs are still going to be met. Right. And she had kept her job. So there's this feeling of like, you know, we both feel so privileged that we get to sail through this in lifeboats, you know? At the same time, where I live, there's been this real feeling of could have been me. Like it just wasn't me this time, but it could have been me. And I've, you know, I've, you know, done a year of self-quarantining before when I had Luna and I was like in the middle of nowhere and I had my own sort of hardship. So I know what that feels like to be isolated, alone, scared, you know, angry, all of the things that many of my friends are going through. And I just, you know, what, like, what are we supposed to do with this? Like where I live, luckily we don't have, you know, our, our governments are not taking things away from us. They're being like very open and we know the plan and it feels like everyone's got informed consent and everyone's on the same team and most of the people I know who are in a privileged position are are helping people who are not by working at food banks or you know giving a little extra to them and let, we're all lending money around there's a lot of that going on there's a lot of like just trying to support local businesses everybody's kind of taking their few people you know I'm helping my neighbor because she's elderly get groceries whatever you know like there's this real it's pulled together kind of feeling but like, what are we supposed to do now going forward? Like, I'm lucky where I'm at, but you know, I have friends in New York that they don't trust anybody now. They just don't trust people anymore. They feel like the trust has been broken for them personally, professionally, in their health, as an animal, you know, in every way. Like, now yeah. what do we do? 
Yeah. So I think that none of us, none of us were prepared for this. And I think that's why the word pandemic is so fitting because I think none of us would have expected finishing the year and going into 2020 into this. And I think of like Wuhan that started and was going through a lot of stuff in November, in early November. And most of us, including myself, had no idea. I was vacationing. So then I think of people in New York. I have a couple cousins who live in New York, are undocumented. They actually went in to go get tested. They were tested and then they were sent home. They were not giving any care. They don't speak English. Um, both of my cousins were infected and their husbands were infected. They go back home to providing for their children. One had a small infant and they're doing okay now. Um, I have my dad who has a family member in New York who actually passed away. So I think of places like New York and I think of places in California who I wouldn't trust anyone. And I think that it's safe that we do that. I think that it makes sense that we don't trust everything that our government says or does. I think that we, it's, it's part of what we're seeing more and more. I think people who choose to trust everything that the World Health Organization says or the CDC says, right? We can't, we don't know. And we know that because there is so much evidence. Even when we go back to seeing, don't use a mask, the mask isn't going to be helpful. And we also knew that there was this giant, there isn't enough PPE. And then we go to use a mask, use a mask, it's actually going to save lives. So I feel like for us human beings, it's really hard because we've all been affected by it. And I think that if we believe in COVID-19 or we don't, or we see it as a common flu or we do or we don't, no matter what, we're all being affected either because we've lost our jobs, either because we've had to quarantine, either because certain freedoms have been taken away. So I feel like this can help us move us into the right direction in regards to looking more deeply and seeing all those injustices that we've seen, such as the ICE detention center, such as the Black Lives Matter movement. We've seen all this stuff concurrently happen during COVID-19. And once COVID-19 is gone, if it ever goes away, um, we're going to continue to see it. So it's interesting because COVID-19 affected everyone. So we all went through this together in so many ways, maybe different months, maybe different time um, when it comes to that but we're all going through this together. However, we know that without COVID-19, there are people that are homeless. There are people that can't pay their bills. There is the majority, at least in the United States of the country, who is one paycheck away from being homeless. We know that 1% owns all the wealth in this country. Yeah, I mean, the US is a third world country. It's not a first world. I mean, I know it's got a first world, uh, sort of PR because there's so much money there. But, you know, I've lived in a bunch of third world countries and like that place operates the same way. Like a little few people get everything and everybody else gets fucked. Like that's, that's how it is, you know? And if you have money, you can get healthcare. And if you don't have money, good luck, you know? And that kind of thing. I think, you know, I think what I'm wondering is like, I, de I definitely agree that you need to, you know, question your government. It's been it's been really shocking to me how many people all over the world, you know, whether it's Canadians or Guatemalans, you know, of course I have a real tie to Guatemala, like whether it's Canadians or Guatemalans or Indonesians, like that we're just like, well, we have to do this. It's for safety. And I'm like, yo, two weeks ago, you didn't believe shit that your government told you. You thought they were assholes trying to take in Canada. We were protesting. They were taking our resources. Guatemala has been in protest since the damn thing was created, 
you know, nobody in Indonesia's ever believed in their people. They've got a they've got an illiteracy problem there. You know, it's one of the most illiterate countries in the world. Now suddenly, these people that never gave a shit about you, you think that they, you know, like I felt like I went into this like Stepford wife life where I was like, what? You, you can't believe these people. Not to say that I don't think COVID is real. I do think it's real. I do think it's killing people. I am not saying that I don't think that it's a threat to some people's health. I think it's absolutely a very big threat to a bunch of people's health. I mean, I got a bunch of old people in my family um, and I know immune compromised people with respiratory issues. So, you know, I think that it's definitely a threat. I'm not saying that. But never, never did it ever cross my mind to take what the government says at all or the WHO or anything and be like, yes, that's true. You know, anything that came out of the WHO, like when they were like, oh, one person can infect three people. I was like, that math seems really intense. And then when I looked it up, it's like, no, that's not possible because 9 billion people would have been infected, which is more than the population of the world in under a month. So they're, you know what I mean? Like they're, like, I think it's healthy to question a government. I think where I'm more worried now is I feel like my friends are questioning each other. And that scares me. It's like, there's a lack of trust in friendships now. Like what, what do you think is the best advice as a psychotherapist that you can give for us to start to build like, I feel like it's Lord of the Flies. I feel like these governments have divided all of us so that they can control us easier because if we're united, we can unite against them. And if we're united, especially in love, that's going to be a real problem to capitalism, you know, because I think, like you said, you know, we've been fighting for my body, my choice and autonomy and human rights in multiple ways, whether it's, you know, through the women's rights to their bodies or whether it's for Black Lives Matter or whatever. Like we've been fighting for autonomy, safety, freedom, all these things for generations. And now suddenly it's like all those things have been taken away and we're all divided now. And like, how can we move forward together and create more safety in our personal interactions? What example could you give of, for example, these friendships and people not trusting each other, people who they should trust, people who they should look for? Um, what example could you give? Okay, well, in my life, I have a recovery partner. We're in the same 12-step program. We've done the 12 steps together now twice. And we're both, you know, we have sobriety uh, in SLA, in Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. And we do a daily check-in, and we've been doing that for years. And they're in New York and they were really affected by this in a lot of ways, like um, in, in a lot of ways, but a lot of the ways they were affected, they don't, I don't identify with any of them because they come from a place that I don't understand because I'm not in, one, I'm not in New York, so I don't know what that's like. Two, I would never be in the United States or New York. So I like, I'm really super removed from that lifestyle already and you know, they also live totally alone, like as a single person without family or, child or children where they are. So there was a lot of factors that I couldn't, I can't identify with. And it put this big wedge in our friendship. Um, and now we're moving back into, like, I miss my recovery partner. Like for me, I've been triggered a lot in codependency and especially my abuse recovery stuff in sloth. 
And like, I want to go back to our daily check-in because it was a solid thing. And I know they do too, but it's like, now we're going back in this place where like the trust is not the same because something happened to them that I don't feel. And I, it's hard to empathize because what happened is a really privileged thing. Like what they went through was really hard for them, but only because they're so privileged. And for me, it was really hard for me to empathize with them because I couldn't, I just couldn't see it. I couldn't, I can't, I can't see how that's really hard because it, I'm just so far removed from that reality. And neither one of us have been rude or anything together, but I can tell that what was once solid like this is now a bit like this. And now we're going back, we're going back cautiously with each other to our daily check-in, but how do we get back to this place? That That's a perfect example. So I think that for a lot of people, what my crisis and what my experience might be and what it's been since March might be completely and totally different from yours. And it makes perfect sense in that when I've seen some of your videos, there was, I believe at one point, only two cases where you were living. Um, everybody was doing pretty well. They hadn't been affected the way maybe in comparison to Reno had. So I think that what is so important is that moving forward, everybody accepts everybody for whatever it is that they went through. That means that if, for example, your friend in New York experienced a crisis and he or she would call it and define it a crisis, it was their crisis they experienced it that way they felt it that way and providing what i like to tell everybody is compassion compassion for everybody because i i heard this really good and i wish i could give credit to whoever said it but somewhere in social media i heard or read um that we're all in the ocean so coronavirus is the ocean we're all in it we're all touching it one way or the other but as we're all in the ocean some of us are in yachts some of us are in boats, some of us are swimming, some of us are in a cruise. So we're all in the ocean, but very differently in the ocean. So we can imagine being in the ocean swimming while someone's in a yacht enjoying a champagne glass, right? So I, I think about this example and I think how much we have to be able to provide compassion to so many people in regards to their own individual experience. That doesn't mean that we don't give and and take away responsibility from big organizations who are now asking for bailout money, right? That's very different on a macro level versus a micro level. We are seeing billionaires become richer in the last two months, while a lot of us are, again, that one paycheck away from becoming homeless. So I feel like when it comes to our own personal experiences, there's a lot of compassion that we can give everyone, just like I think at one point him, her in New York could give you based on some of the things you go through that this person doesn't identify as a parent. This person doesn't identify as living in a country that's Spanish speaking. This person doesn't identify in a country where drug trafficking and the murders of women are at a higher rate than ever. So I feel like there's so much room for compassion where we don't have to agree. We can disagree and what people feel, their crisis, that's always real to them. No one can ever question that that person experienced the crisis. That's how they interpret it. Now, can we disagree and agree on so many things? Like New York is so interesting to me because I think about 
New York is such a wealthy state. There are so many wealthy people. I was there in my childhood for maybe two months, I think. I was in Spring Valley, New York. I went to one of the ugliest, poorest schools when I was there. I saw some of the ugliest things I've ever seen. And I said, I would never go back to New York unless I was filthy rich because the experience was so traumatizing. I remember knowing that I was poor. I remember feeling poor. I remember it was very traumatizing for someone who's in elementary school, who's young, who came from a place like Reno, Nevada, where everything is so small and you see a mix of wealth and poverty. It's all like this when you look at Reno, there's no like separation. So when I think of New York and I think of so many people, um, comparison like my cousins who are undocumented, low income, don't speak the language. And then you see a very wealthy person and guess what? They're both going to the same hospital and there was no PPE. And there was all this stuff that both of them were affected equally, right? Let's say if they were both victims of COVID-19 diagnoses. So I, I think that just going back to being able to give everyone compassion for where they're at and where they're not at too. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, not with this friend necessarily, but I think like, uh, you know, I've had a few friends that losing their business is like the biggest thing that's ever happened to them. And so, you know, I've just taken a step back. I've just been like, they have to go through that on their own. Cause number one, I've already lost my business with the baby in the middle of nowhere before. So it ain't, I lost my business in this too, but it was like, I literally lost my business and just took the next step. Like that wasn't enough because I've been through something bigger and I'm, I'm really lucky that I've been through something bigger because I already had three years to change my life. And I've already made a lot of changes to make me, you know, I got money coming in from different streams. I've gone more online. I've already detached a lot from Western culture for a long time. So this really affected those places. Um, you know, and I'm living in a place where dengue kills people. Like, I mean, I'm, I've been living in countries with dengue for a long time. Like I've already been having to face my mortality a lot. So I've built skills that help me through these kinds of things. And I understand that just because it's not a big deal for me, doesn't mean it's not a big deal for them. Because when I was going through, you know, being stranded with a child by myself, you know, my dad was saying to me, there's people starving in the world, you know, like you're going to be fine kind of thing. But at the time I was like, you know, fuck you, because I was so in it, you know, that I was like, I don't, I'm not in the place right now. Mm -hmm. think about that right so I understand that I can give people that space but now it's like how do we come back into it like at the same time like I've been telling some of my some people I've just been saying to them like I know this has been really hard on you and I really respect that it's been hard on you, but like, I'm not the friend that you need to lean on right now. You need to find people who identify with this struggle and I'm not that friend. And I've been trying to be very clear and I've really, it's been hard because I want to be supportive, but at the same time, you know, it's like, I kind of feel like it's like, I have, I have a bunch of single mom friends who are women of color and they're, they, that is the group that really took me in when I was struggling. And that's the group I learned the most from. And it's a group I, you know, identify with in one way, but at the same time, I totally understand that I have an enormous amount of privilege in comparison to this group. I do not go to this group of women 
when I want to bitch about white girl problems. You know, I go to my white girl friends. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I just feel that like, you have to read the room a little bit. <laughs> like, so I'm trying to move back into trust with people, but at the same, and give them space to have their freak out. But like, one of the things I've just been preaching to myself as well as other people a lot is like live and let live. Like if you want to keep your freedom and your autonomy, it means that you are not allowed to tell people what to do with theirs. If that person needs to go out into a big group of people and hug everybody, like that's what's best for them. I can't tell them what to do. And like, I've just been really preaching that internally into other people, but how, like, what's the best way to bridge the gap with somebody that has been through, like, I haven't really, like you said, there's two cases in my town. Like I haven't really been through a big crisis in this. How can I be supportive without being drained in any way and move forward with friends that do feel, a lot of people feel that I'm not compassionate because I'm just like living my life. Like people are pissed off that I'm in Mexico city right now in my networks and like enjoying myself on a rooftop in an Airbnb. They're like, how dare you? <laughs> like, well, the airport's open and I had a medical appointment I came here for and like I'd smoke them if you got them. Like, I'm just going to enjoy my life, you know, because I can. And why wouldn't I enjoy it? And I'm in this place where like, I want to be compassionate, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, dude, just how do I, how do I bridge this gap with you when you think that you're like, you're going through something bad and therefore the whole world needs to stop, which is a very like American mentality. You know, like, how do we go forward out of that? What's, what do you think? Yeah. So I think that setting healthy boundaries, for example, you're still a mom, you still have to take care of Luna. You still have all the responsibilities and you still have to deal with all the poison that you've always dealt with. So I think about so many people who suffer from anxiety and depression. And what we saw was that a lot of people with depression and anxiety, their feelings and symptoms intensified. It got a lot worse during this time. And we can clearly mark when it got a lot worse. For example, March, when we were asked to no longer go out or we lost our job or we got sick. So there's a lot of people who will have to practice that healthy boundary setting. Um, I always like to talk about radical acceptance. So radical acceptance is the idea that we radically accept something that we don't naturally or like or agree upon. So I think that for a lot of people, just Give like- Give me an example of radical acceptance, like use a, a real life term example. Yeah, so for example, in New York, your friend has gone through all this stuff. New York is one of the worst states that was affected in the United States. You are in Mexico. He must radically accept that you are not living the same life he is, just like you must radically accept that you are not living the life he is living. And we might not like it, we might not agree on it, but that's the truth. There is no changing that you are in Mexico. There is no changing that in your town, you have not been affected as much as like someone in New York. And that's the truth. And we might not like it. We might like it. I don't know. We might agree, not agree, but it doesn't matter. We radically accept that that's your truth. Just like we radically accept that that's his truth. I think that for a lot of people leaning into their communities is really healthy. But I think that sometimes there's so much incongruence. For example, you guys have this beautiful friendship and you guys depend on each other when it comes to your recovery. So 
you're right. You might be that person in regards to your guys' supportive system when it comes to recovery, but you're probably definitely not going to be that person because you are not his next door neighbor in New York City. So I think radically accepting that, yes, we all have different roles to play dependent on where we're at. Um, and like you said, you lean in on your um, moms who tend to be women of color and you probably do all the mom stuff there. And you know that when something comes up, that's where you go. You don't go talk to a single dad or single guy who's not a dad, right? Like, you know where to go. And I think a lot of the times what's happening is this has brought a lot of awareness to mental health. A lot of people I've noticed started sharing symptoms of anxiety and depression, and they've never experienced symptoms of anxiety and depression. So they don't understand why they're restless. They don't understand why they have pain in their chest, but they've gone to the doctor, nothing's medically wrong, right? or feelings of not wanting to live anymore. So we're seeing also people that mental health is coming up for them. And I think that it's a disservice to have friends to lean on when there are mental health professionals that they can access. And then we could go into the horrible injustices of mental health, right? Mental health for so long was designed for the rich and the few. That's why there is so much stigma when it comes to mental health, especially in our Latinx communities. So I think being able to look and see who can give me what? Who can provide me what? So when I think of your friend in New York, when he looks at his supportive system and he has probably friends in New York and probably friends all over the world, but he has you and you have always been that recovery person, then let's continue to do that. Let's continue to make sure that we use what works versus forcing something that isn't going to be applicable because you're living a different life. We like it or not. What do you think too? Good. I feel good about this because I'm like, I'm on the right track. That's what I said. I was like, maybe for a little while, we have to keep our shares really just about flop because it's getting too tricky to navigate this other stuff together, you know, because it, it, at the same time, like, you know, I'm in these abuse recovery groups. And when this all happened, I mean, we all, we all have trauma, uh, PTSD issues, you know, like if you've been abused, like you carry that for life, it doesn't go away. But you also become something better. Like I really feel I, you know, I really don't identify with this idea that I'm like carrying this abusive story for the rest of my life. The reason I talk about it with people is because like I am literally living the life I never even dreamed I could have. And I would have never been in this incredible life. Like every day in COVID-19, I was like my gratitude prayers every morning. I was like, I can't believe we're doing so well. Like, how have I done this? Like, thank you so much for helping me to, to take the steps I needed to take that would get me through this. I never knew this was even coming, but I saw I've created all these foundational things. And if I'd never been in that abusive relationship, I would have never made all that foundation. And like, it's so amazing to see that I'm like COVID and recession proof and like all this stuff because of these changes I made, most of them being internal. And I mostly live in like in the attitude of gratitude. So I'm super thankful for that experience because of all the good that came out of it. But, you know, these kind of battles, they leave scars and you, you don't let, you don't ever get rid of those. They're there forever. Right. And they're what makes me who I am. But when this started happening, like these sort of rewarded societal abuse, like this abuse, this, like, I believe in science, like, anybody that's questioning is considered a threat to public safety is like it this is so it's so reminiscent of of the abusive relationship that i was in and, and i mean i've been in several and 
I started checking in on these other people I know, mostly also single moms that are abuse survivors. And like, we're all, we all in the beginning, like weren't sleeping well, you know, PTSD back, you know, all this stuff. And I, nothing was even happening in my town at that point. Things had not even started shutting down, but just the world vibe on social media, in my friendships, in other countries, in, you know, in, in Europe and whatever, just like this, this fear factoring coming in and like, what, what have you seen maybe in your practice around that type of anxiety, abuse? Like, you know, are you, are you seeing a link between how things are being handled in the media and governmentally and anxiety, depression, abuse, trauma, you know? Yeah, so specifically here in Reno, um, we have a program that the state offers anybody who's been a victim of sexual abuse, sexual assault, or has been a survivor of domestic violence gets specific benefits. The way they qualify for these benefits is as long as they participated in regards to the police report and making sure that this person was arrested, um, they receive specific benefits like protecting um, and covering medical bills, relocation, one of the benefits is mental health, where they receive up to $5,000 in benefits to receive individual therapy. Um, for a lot of the women who are survivors of domestic violence, survivors of sexual assault abuse, what we see is that post-traumatic stress disorder and the symptoms that come with that, sometimes they might be in remission of PTSD, but they still live with maybe some form of depression and anxiety. And what I've seen a lot is that because this intensifies, right, being stuck at home, not being able to see your social support, not being able to go to your weekly women's group, then you start seeing some of those same symptoms from maybe when you had just gotten out of the abuse. Maybe you start feeling the nightmares or the night terrors or kind of watching out and noticing that you're hyper alert or hyper vigilant. So there's a lot of symptoms that have intensified because of the time we're in. And it's interesting because you would think, how does COVID-19 have anything to do with those symptoms that we could clearly see were based and provoked on abuse, right? And we, we can see the perpetrator and we know why this happened. But like you said, this never goes away. This is something you learn to live with. And I don't like to say you're a victim. I like to say you're a survivor. You survive this and you start living a life worth living. And maybe that life worth living equals community. And maybe that life worth living equals family and being able to live the life you planned. And now you get to do that. And COVID-19 hits and all of that is taken away from you. Um, there is a group here in a clinic that serves undocumented women, HIV positive women, low income women. And they meet once a week, every week, Thursdays from four to six. This is done every week for years. I have a bunch of women who go to this group and in March, when they were no longer able to do this, they lost their support where once a week, they got to go just like you said, with women who they relate to, women who they identify with, and talk and share and express feelings and emotions. Now, there is no expressing, there is no sharing, you are stuck at home. And maybe home is a safe haven now, maybe home is a safe place, but we know that when you are in recovery, yeah, and, and what we know that when you are in recovery and you do find that safe home and you do find that safe haven, we still know that community, 
and being able to share with others and be with others is one of the one of the factors that keeps us doing well. We know therapy. We know going into once a week your therapy session and your therapist throwing a pillow or a Kleenex box at you. That is something you do for your recovery. And now that's gone. We saw AA and NA where because of the six feet apart, because there couldn't be no more than 10 people, now people who've been doing this for 20 years plus lost their recovery support or lost their survivor support. So what we know is that all these symptoms are intensifying. They're not going away and they wouldn't be going away. What is sad is that they're intensifying because the support systems that people have put in place to make sure that they're doing the best they possibly can have been taken away. Well, and I also found that like, I mean, social media is not this like great space anyway, but like I'm pretty much off social media now. I'm not on Facebook. I shut it all down. It took 2000 friends off because of really just acquaintances. And, you know, I'm lucky I have an assistant who can run our social media, but that was a place that I was expressing myself in the past. And in this COVID-19 thing, like I'm hesitant to post photos of my daughter at her daycare nobody's doing anything wrong. She's just at daycare. Daycares have not been mandated to shut down in this country. She goes to a home daycare with six kids. Like, what is she doing wrong? But like, I just don't want to deal with the mom shame, even though like I'm impervious to mom shaming, but you know, like how, you know, people, like I agree, like all these systems have been taken away. I mean, I had to get sober online. So I, you know, for me to go to an online meeting, it's like, for me, I'm like, oh, yay, there's more online meetings. Perfect. This is great. Take it all up and on. And I don't even, but the thing is, is like, I don't even feel I'm, I can express like, yes, more online meetings because people are going to be like, oh, there you are rubbing it in again. <laughs> like, I'm sorry that I just see the positive side of this, you know, but I, I feel like an extension of what you're saying is like, yes, like these groups have been taken away and people aren't able to sort of express themselves freely or question media or, I mean, the media is like so wrong on almost everything. Like if they truck one more fucking baby out and make it seem like this is massively affecting babies, like I want to have all these people fired like this is so dangerous what's going on you know and i don't know how to navigate that stuff anymore and on top of it i'm not sure what my friends are going through so i'm not sure who to call you know and i think it's left people feeling isolated in another way like not just in their homes but also like we've been we're supposed to be using social media to stay in touch and I, I mean, I, I feel like I got to block people from looking at stuff sometimes. Like maybe you shouldn't look at my story because it obviously angers you and I'm not doing anything, you know, I'm not doing anything different. Like the thing that's great, cause a lot of people have written to me because I have a big network and been like, well, you have a responsibility. And I'm like, to who, who do I have a responsibility to? And what am I supposed to be doing? And I, I don't want to offend people, but at the same time, I don't know, I don't, I don't know how to tell them to like, just look away. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like there, it seems like even these alternative spaces don't feel sp safe either. Yeah. And I think it's hard because, and I think for social media and what I see with youth is that 
social media can be a very negative thing and it can be a very positive thing. And I've always said that social media is amazing when it comes to helping people connect. Um, I love the fact that I can see my family in Mexico. I can see my family in Guatemala. I can see what they're doing that moment. And it's a click away. I love that. Right. And then I think about all the times that social media is used for really, really, really bad things like spreading hate and spreading misinformation and spreading what people like to talk about as facts. And I think that that's the difference. I think that when we go into something saying this is the truth and this is the only truth, it's when we get ourselves in trouble versus when we share our own personal experience. And I feel like for those people who are maybe going onto social media, attacking you or wanting you to do something, really what's happening is we're unable to look inside. There's something that we have to be able to do for ourselves. And maybe that's quarantining and maybe that's social distancing and maybe it's not. And I feel like I can't take you and make you do what I think is best, just like you would be unable to do that for me. So I feel like people have to also radically accept that everyone's living a different moment and a different life, even though we are all being affected by COVID-19. And I think the perfect example really for the world is when Wuhan, China was going through what they were going through in November, and we were here sitting with no worry. And that was most of the country. And then it affected Italy. And then we started getting more information. But I think for a long time, people were going through a lot of horrible things. And it hadn't affected us. It hadn't touched us. So we were okay. And I think most of the time, that is what happens. People go through traumatic events, like the loss of a loved one, a car accident, murder, whatever it is, social injustice that happens every single second in this country. And because it's my issue, it happened to me, no one else is affected. And right. this time around, we see that it's a big thing. It's, it's the elephant in the room and it is affecting everyone, but it's affecting everyone differently. Um, I have two sister-in-laws who both of them were diagnosed with COVID-19. Both of them experienced flu-like symptoms. They're both very young. Um, they're 1920s. Um, and they had body ache and a little bit of a fever, and that was it. So then I see these two sister-in-laws of mine who, maybe it's because they're young, maybe it is whatever, but they, COVID-19 was a flu-like type thing for them. And then I know someone very close to my boyfriend, or at least someone he knows, his father passed away from COVID-19 last week. So then I think about these two families. We're here in Northern Nevada, and we all live maybe 15 minutes away from each other. I have these two sister-in-laws who survived COVID-19, and they're able to celebrate Mother's Day in May, and they're able to do all these things. And for them, it was an experience of a flu. And then mm -hmm. right next door to them, we have someone who lost their father to the same thing. So we're talking about minutes away from each other, experiencing COVID-19 even very differently. So I think it's important for people to remember that we're all in different spaces and we cannot make others feel and think and do what we want them to do. I mean, I feel like it's hard because here in the United States, we've seen a little bit of both. We've seen very progressive and advocates and people who really stand up to social justice say, stay at home for others, you know, do it for those that have lost others, right? And then we've seen the MAGA hats 
um, and Trump wanting to open the economy again. So I think that's where we've been able to also question everything, where we've, got, we've gone back and forth. When we see, and I think that when Trump was elected, that's really when people started noticing that they should question their government, right? Like once Trump is elected, I mean, if we were the joke, that's the craziest thing that could ever happen and it happened, right? So I feel like when we see different people, we see Trump stand up and he says, we're opening the economy, I don't care anymore. And then we see other people say, no, stay at home for others. You know, there's people getting sick, whatever it is. I think that's why we question it. I think that's why I stand here today saying, I don't know what the truth is. I tell well, yeah. everyone, you know, we don't know. There's also lots of medical professionals that are like, if you stay home, you literally are shooting your immune system in the foot. Like, don't do that. That's so horrible for you. Plus, there's also mental health factors. I mean, lots and millions of people in North America have very unsafe home environments. And how, how dare you tell somebody who risks their life in their home that they need to be there? You know, like there's for me, I've got this real live and let live. Like if coronavirus has taught me anything, it's to not be judgmental. I mean, I'm like anybody else. I can be just as judgmental as the next person and to just try to check my judgment as much as possible. I mean, I'm only human. I can only do so much and I make lots of mistakes, mm -hmm. but like check it as much as possible, live my life the best I can, live with my own choices because I got to live with them and then look at somebody else and think they're doing the best that they yeah. can for themselves. And I feel like the media and just this idea of being dis, dis, divisive, you know, like um, it's also divisive. Like you're not allowed to question the WHO because, you know, they're, they, they're for the people. Yeah, well, now we know they're 60% owned by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So they're not, they're privately owned. Now two countries have pulled out, you know, you know what I mean? And now it's like, oh, okay, we can't trust that, but we can trust the New York times. And then we find out that they're being paid off by whatever, you know, like it feels like we can't trust anybody. And I just keep telling people, well, what do you want to do for you? Like, what does your inner voice, your gut instinct, your common sense, your sense of being a human animal tell you? And lots of people have told me, well, I want to stay home. I don't want to send my kids back to school, even though they're allowed to go back. And I'm like, then don't send them back. Like, you're the mom. You know what's best for your kids. Me, I, Luna never broke stride. I never even thought of taking her out. So much of what her sense of self and her, and her health and well-being is dependent on that school. That, like, I, I want, my thing was, like, I want to keep her at kids club at all costs. But the, the four parents at my school have taken their kids out and don't want to bring them back. You know, like everybody's different. Everybody has a different relationship with it. Like what's good, my, my, you know, my kid's been in nine countries in two years. So like what's good for her sense of well-being maybe is different than like a kid who's got two parents, has never left the small town we're in. You know, like every, the experience builds over time. But it's, I hope, I really hope that we can get to this live and let live place as a world society. Because I feel like we're at this place where we're either gonna start trying to kill each other, which I think is, the, is, is, is music to the ears of every government, corporation, governing body in the world, because they, you know, they're never going to, we're never gonna push back against them if we're not united. So the less 
that we're united, the more they can take advantage of us and make money on our backs, right? So I really hope that like people really see that and see that like the real radical love of each other and like you're saying, radical acceptance, like that this is, this is the way forward is to just like truly drop all pretexts with, with the other. And it's so hard because you can do it one minute and then the next minute, you know, someone says something about vaccines and you're like, well, that, except for vaccines, you know, like, or except for this, or, or not when it comes to abuse or like, you know, like everyone's got their thing. So what would you tell people? Cause this will be our takeaway. We'll finish up here. What, what are some like maybe three usable things that people can do every day to work on their mental health as we start to integrate back with each other? Like what are the three things that you think people should be or five or whatever you have? Like what are the top things? My, my number one thing would be for people to check in with themselves every day. I think that what we notice is that we have bad days and we have good days, but more and more I am seeing good moments and bad moments. It is okay to feel anxious. It is okay to feel depressed. These are all emotions that we're experiencing and that we should experiencing. We're unable to access people we love. We're unable to do the things we used to do. So our lives have been turned upside down. It is normal to grieve that. It is normal to look and say, what is going on? Why do I feel this way? And it's normal to have that conversation with ourselves. If we're unable to have that conversation with ourselves and there are people that we feel like we can share this information with doing that, I feel like we must start checking in with ourselves and we must start asking ourselves, what do I need today? So for example, today I checked in with myself and I said, today I need not to wear shoes. I am not wearing shoes today. I will show you my feet as proof that I'm not wearing shoes. So I think that for a lot of people being able to check in and say, I'm having a shitty day. Well, if you're having a shitty day, maybe you're not going to work. Maybe you're not going to do all the things that allow you to be super productive. And if you're having a good day, maybe that means you get to do a little bit more than you used to or more than what you were expecting. Some days are gonna be good days. Some days are going to be bad days. We must check in with ourselves and we must let that be okay. We do not need to try to make our feelings of sadness go away by distracting or by changing it, right? Like I'm not okay because I'm sad. Like it is okay to be upset. It is okay to not be doing well. Once we experience those feelings, those feelings too shall pass. I think that a lot of the times what I'm noticing is that when we're not doing okay, we're mad at ourselves. We are judging ourselves as if something is wrong with us, as if we're not doing something right. And the truth is, it is congruent. It is very appropriate that we're not doing so well. That makes perfect sense. Um, for a lot of people, there are so many community groups online now, just like you said, there's so many support groups that you can find. And I think that sometimes we do just want to bitch. Sometimes we just want to say this fucking sucks and that is okay. We all have that person who we can do that with. And if we don't, we need to find that person who we can do that with. Because we are not saying that no people haven't lost their lives. We are not saying that no, this is it, something that is really affecting others. But we know that it is affecting us differently. And it might be we lost our jobs and we're no longer employed, right? Or it might be I'm stuck at home and I can't get out, whatever it is. We are all experiencing negatives. There's always going to be a lot of negative effects based on what's happened so far. So checking in with ourselves and being able to 
ask those hard questions of how are we truly feeling? Not like when we see someone in the elevator and we go, how's it going? Good. We start sometimes doing that to ourselves. We're not good and it's okay not to be good. And we can say it. I'm not good today. So I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. And I'm not talking about this. Checking in with ourselves. Um, number two, I think that this is a really good time and opportunity for people to check in in their overall mental health. I think that sometimes it's not just good days and bad days. Sometimes I think we're noticing that maybe we were really good at hiding our depression or our anxiety or even hiding some of the things that we're going through. And I think that this is always a good time and opportunity to seek mental health. Just like we take care of our bodies, just like we take care of our physical self, we must take care of our mental self. Um, it's interesting because the numbers that we are seeing and the effects that the pandemic will take on us mentally are astonishing. And they're so sad because we won't ever just recover from this. The pandemic will go away. And like you've shared, some people will live in fear. Some people will not trust their neighbor, whatever that is. Um, getting out there and doing whatever it is that you can. So if that means social distancing, because that's what your town is requiring, but being able to get some fresh air, being able to go for a walk, doing the most with what you have. Um, that might mean getting out there and just breathing some fresh air. Maybe it doesn't mean you get to go shopping. Maybe it doesn't mean you get to go eat, but you can do something. And I think that it's really important that people look and see what their town is allowing them to do or not to do and not because we want to follow the rules because every rule doesn't make sense but because i know that people don't want to get themselves in trouble i think that that's another piece to it too and getting out there um connecting with nature with the world with whatever it is that you like um checking in with yourself taking a look at your mental health and really discovering and noticing what you need to do if there's some healing from past stuff or healing just from specifically this pandemic getting out there getting out there and connecting with those. Um, I know we talked about social media and it's really hard because I do believe that there's a lot of negativity, but if you have people who you love and you enjoy to check in with, maybe, I mean, for a lot of people watching your show, I know that Luna is the star. She's the cutest little thing and you see her and it makes you smile and there's nothing wrong with that. So I think that there's little pieces that you can grab from everything. There's something positive in everything. And sometimes that might be, Luna dancing in her daycare and that's what you got because we're maybe unable to dance in our daycares because we're not allowed to go. So whatever it is, I think that the cup is half empty, but it can also be half full. What about limiting social media? Like a lot of people, I've seen that a lot, like limit your social media. I mean, for me, it's great. I mean, I'm so lucky I have an assistant that takes the brunt of it. And so I do go on there, but not very much, like a couple times a week, completely off Facebook. Yeah, some people really like Twitter and they don't like Facebook or they like Instagram and they don't like Twitter. It just depends on what your needs are. And if you notice that when you are getting off of Instagram or when you are scrolling through Facebook, you are feeling positive, you are feeling happy, it's something that actually fills your cup, then do it. But if you are noticing that it's actually negative, that it's actually provoking more anxiety or it's stressful or you're arguing with people that you shouldn't be arguing with, then I think that social media breaks are always something that are super healthy. I think right now what I've noticed is social media has been used to connect because that is one of the very few ways we're able to see and connect with people that we care about. So I feel like it just depends. It's a very unique experience for everyone. And I've noticed sometimes it's been very positive and sometimes it's been very negative. So it just depends, but you have to do an honest check-in and 
ask yourself, what is Facebook doing for me? What is Instagram doing for me? What am I benefiting from? How is this helpful to me? And if it's not, being able to delete that app and maybe if you're not ready to delete your account permanently, deleting it from your phone and giving yourself a couple days and checking in and noticing how am I feeling now, now that I'm not scrolling, now that I'm not doing that. And I think for some people it'll be beneficial and for others they might notice that they do miss being able to connect from so far away. I guess it just depends on that person. Okay, cool. Yeah, this is a good chat. I'm really glad that we talked a lot about radical self-acceptance and like some of the things that you're noticing what's going on. It's cool to check in with the uh, with a state I don't know much about and and I, and I really I'm super disconnected from the United States. So it, it's really cool to like it's sound, you sound positive about the future there, which is is nice to hear. Um, and I think Anna, you know, I've gotten an opportunity to visit Mexico a couple times and I've gotten the opportunity to go back to Guatemala a couple times as well. And I want you to know that there's a lot of people in this country who are very unhappy with the way this country has done things. I think that we look at the United States and we see Trump and we see the MAGA hats and we see them and it's scary. I can't even imagine living in a different country and looking at the United States. This would be the last place I would visit. But I do believe that coming out of this, we will learn that your issue is my issue and that we all together can and should be the ones making the decisions for this country, which include making sure that the most vulnerable populations are taken care of, which is why we're noticing how they are being so much more affected than the 1% elite. So I feel like the United States is really hard because there have been so many mistakes that have been made and just most recently with the Trump administration. And I believe that there's a lot of people that are unhappy, that they're not okay with how things are running. So I hope that for the next election, people are able to vote someone that makes sense. And not that I believe that that political process is the only process, but I do believe that we have a lot of people in this country who want to see this country change. Um, I mean, you gotta get rid of billionaires. Like it's time for billionaires to be done. Like you can make $999 million and then after that you're capped the fuck off. Like there's no, no sense. It makes no elites. sense why they exist. It makes no sense why they exist. No more elites. No more. They need to go. And you know, it just, it, it's done. Like this idea of a butch capitalist society where it's like eat or be eaten. Like this has to be over. People need something different. And I don't really think that you're ever going to vote anybody in because my feelings of the United States haven't changed since George, George W. Bush. So I think Obama did the best at driving a leaky boat, but y'all have a leaky boat, man. The Titanic is going down. You know, it doesn't matter who's driving it to me. Like, I don't see any difference between Trump and George W. or George Sr. Like, I, it's all the same problem with the leaky boat that's not getting fixed. And I hope that this does finally push Americans because I feel you've had a lot of opportunities to do better and you haven't taken them. You just move on to the next thing or try to push all the blame onto one person instead of taking a look at the, at how I mean, it's hard. It, I know it's hard for outsiders to look at this issue in the United States with the healthcare system and feel bad because the writing's been on the wall for so long. Like everyone in the entire world knows the United States has one of the worst healthcare systems in the world. We all know, all of us. Like Africans know, Asians know, we all know. So for it to be a surprise to Americans, it's like, you're the only ones, you know, and 
it's hard, not that I don't feel compassion, but it's hard to keep pulling compassion up for somebody who, you know, is not, is refusing to accept what's going on. There's like a real refusal of accepting that the ship is sinking. And yeah, and the people on the bottom rungs are gonna die. And there's still this refusal to accept it. You know, it, it really, to me, it feels totally like the Titanic all over again. You know? Yeah, and I and I and I would disagree. I think that most Americans know that our health system does not work. It does not work for the working class. It does not work for families. Thirty-five thousand dollars for COVID. Thirteen hundred for people with with insurance. Like Guatemala's got a better system than that. Like what the hell? Not to say that like Guatemala's system's so good, but like a lot of times people have been like in this whole thing, like, well, Mexico, I guess is so good. And I keep saying to Canadians, that's not the point. Canada should be owning Mexico. Like we should not be sailing through this better than you because you have one of the most expensive, extensive healthcare systems in the world. You know, and the truth is in Canada is that the people in charge have squandered the money Canadians are so apathetic. They haven't questioned their government because they're so drunk on superiority. And the truth is our rights, our systems, everything that makes us Canadian has been taken away from us slowly over decades. And everyone's been so concerned with driving an Audi and getting a new iPhone that no one's given a shit, mm -hmm. you know? And now the doors are closed. There's no PPE. We pay tons of money in taxes. And everybody's like, well, at least we get $2,000 a month. And it's like, yeah, you're under the poverty line. Way to go. Yeah. Like you, our government in Canada has way more money to give than that. That's a, and we have to pay it back. It's like the worst. You know, it just, I don't know. There's a bigger conversation, I think. Yeah. I think we probably need to leave it here before, before we get deeply into politics. But I, I really do hope, like, I, you know, as a Canadian, I want this to be a wake-up call for Canadians, and I hope they do. I help Canadians and Americans immigrate out of the, both of those countries as, uh, as my, my karmic contribution to the world. So anybody watching this who wants to leave those ships and would like to look into alternatives, I do my best to help people for free. So just get in touch with me. You can book a call for money, but you know, you can also get a lot of info from me for free. And, um, yeah, you don't have to be in that. Um, if you don't want to, if you speak two languages, man, you don't ever have to be enslaved anywhere. There's so many opportunities all over the world for you. If you speak English in another language, the world is your oyster. So, you know, hopefully that gives people a little bit of hope that they don't have to be stuck in cages. And thank you so much, Giuseppe, for, you know, explaining things that are very difficult in a really easy to understand way. And I, cuidate mucho in uh, Nevada. Gracias, gracias, gracias por tenerme. Ha sido un placer. Cuídate también. Sí, adiós. Pasión, buen día. Adiós.